What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Hardy Creatures Edition. I think that's what THC stands for, isn't it? Tiny Hardy Creatures. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. yeah. <clears throat> if I remember my my acronyms correctly, my TLAs. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. that very literate voice you hear is uh, that of Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University, historian of science. How are you, sir? Um, I continue to exist. Um, I've been wondering how fast I can be shot out of a cannon, but as yet, <laughs> I have no information on this, so maybe we can resolve some of that. Yes. I, oh, yes. That's just a tease of what our upcoming uh, if is, our thought experiment for the week. I'm Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, lapsed scientist, uh, and science fan. And also with us, as always, almost as always, never often enough, you can never have too much, of uh, almost Dr. Gabby Panicia, virologist from Rockefeller University. How are you, almost doctor? Well, it's the almost part that's been really <laughs> grinding my gears. It's, it's officially the depth of thesis writing, which, as I was telling Matt before the show, is basically just absolute ennui for like eight to 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. followed by what can only best be described as revenge bedtime procrastination, in which now that I have a period of time to turn my brain off and do something else, I stay awake for far longer than I should because this is a way of, I guess, taking some kind of control over myself back. <laughs> um, so it's That's going, right. but you know, now I'm understanding what everybody says, kind of like, oh yeah, the thesis, oh boy, yeah. I'm in the who boy. to use the technical term yeah 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 and how many pages give or take do you think that so so people understand how big this thing is you're doing yeah like we don't have set page limits at all but right now my introduction with no figures is like i think it's like 14 pages yeah it's like 14 pages single spaced Um, and then there's going to be figures that I'm going to add that are going to like, you know, explain things visually. So all said and done, just my introduction is probably going to be somewhere around 30, 35, 40 pages. So fairly beefy. And then I have three, four more chapters to write. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a decent thing. And I've got about two months left to write it. So right now it took me about a month to write the first chapter. So now I can no longer keep at that pace. I must now write. (laughs) Yeah, in two weeks. Wow. You'll do it. You'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we'll keep moving so you can get back to that. Um, and those of you listening, I know you're eager to know what in the world is going on. Matt, can you explain what people have accidentally stumbled oh, into? Oh, what they've accidentally stumbled into? Yes. Um, well, what they've stumbled into is... I don't know if it's the best of all possible worlds or the worst of all possible worlds, um, but we're changing up the possible worlds and putting you in a new one. Um, and then you can decide for yourself whether the the changes we've made to reality are to your liking or not. Um, 
uh, and hopefully we'll learn something along the way. Excellent, excellent. And, and uh, by the way, I just want to mention, uh, a shout, give a shout out to uh, a couple of our newest uh, Patreon supporters, Chuck and uh, Doug, uh, both of whom joined us uh, recently, and we thank you very much, and we give a thanks to all our Patreon supporters. Uh, it's their fault. Anything that happens tonight, it's all their fault. We just blame them. <laughs> blame it on them. Uh, if you would also like to become a, uh, a holder of blame, we would uh, encourage you to uh, go to patreon.com slash what they if and check it out. Um, the if this week, which is what the, we call the, the thought experiment uh, that we're going to run with, um, comes to us uh, uh, ripped from the headlines, but a little a little while ago. They, but they're always in the headlines. They're, the, these little creatures, the tiny hearted creatures I referred to earlier, uh, pop up in the headlines periodically. Um, but uh, one of the more recent uh, times that they did was um, there was uh, was it Israel, I believe, had landed a spacecraft on the moon. Uh, just about every country in the world is shooting things at the moon these days, by the way. Mm-hmm. So the moon is either very happy or very annoyed. Certainly um, not lonely. Not lonely, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And just about all of them crash. Uh, space is hard, as they say. And um, none of these craft have had people on them. Uh, well, the United States is sending people, I'm not sure, possibly even... Uh, in the next couple of years, allegedly. Yeah. next, And I believe it's going to be an all-female crew is what they're talking about. Um, or at least... No, but we can we can do that another time. Um, but no, mm-hmm. that's not the, the case. Okay. All right. This is good. The show is already off to a good start because we're just throwing <laughs> out nonsense. Um, but uh, Net zero information. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Exactly. It can be a footnote in, in, the, in Gabby's PhD uh, thesis. Um, so, uh, but there are these little creatures that were on board this... Uh, craft that crashed on the moon. And uh, Gabby, can you explain what these little creatures were as a setup? And then we'll, then we'll begin our if. Yeah, so these little guys were tardigrades. So they're the sort of microscopic, you can see them under like a low power microscope, but you can't really see them with your naked eye. They're these little creatures that sometimes people call water bears because they are sort of mm. round and pudgy with, uh, I think it's anywhere from four to six little legs. Um, actually they have, I think it's like six, maybe six or eight. Okay. Uh, clearly I don't understand what I'm talking about. Uh, with a, an unspecified <laughs> number of legs, which I will uh, give you the details on when I can actually see a picture of a tardigrade. Um, but they're really famous for the fact that they can survive some really extreme conditions. Uh, that it's one of these things that despite it's this tiny little squishy little microorganism that lives on moss, um, and they, they have you know, fairly complicated internal structures. It's not just like a bacteria where it's just sort of goop and proteins floating around in there. It's got like a little primitive brain and intestines and things like that. And they can be frozen solid. They can be like survive the vacuum of space. They're just relentlessly hardy little guys. Um, And so that I think is what makes them really tremendously interesting. They also have somewhat of a similarity to, I'm looking at the pictures of them now, to uh, the worms on Dune. The scale is obviously extremely different. Uh-huh. And the worms on Dune, the sandworms on Dune, don't in the, in the movie and the book, uh, Dune, uh, the multiple movies, <laughs> and mo- many, many multiple books <laughs> of, uh, of Dune, um, they don't have legs on Dune, of course, but uh, they're very similar. Uh, and I say that because instead of a face, they just seem to have like a giant mouth. 
like one single round yeah. mouth. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, uh, I saw, I think it's eight legs. Yeah, it's eight. Okay. There we go. And there, the, the, what's deceiving about the pictures when you look at them, and I do encourage you to look at the pictures of them, and I believe, I'm sure they will wind up in the cover art for this episode, so they may be right there on your podcast app right now. But um, uh, they, they don't look as small as they actually are, right, Gabby? How, how big are these, or how tiny the are these The actual size features? of a tardigrade? Yeah. Uh, let me see. I mean, they're, they're very small. Uh, I don't know if... Uh, one and a half millimeters is the 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 largest. One and oh, a half. Actually, that's that's a little bigger than I would have expected. Actually, yeah, yeah. but the smallest that's... are below 0.1 millimeter. Okay, so uh, so, so they vary a lot. So they, they vary, vary a lot. A factor so, of ten. That's that's enormous. Wow. Um, yeah. But that's here. So one millimeter is um, what the width of a grain of rice, maybe not the length, but the width. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, and point one would be eh, twice the width of a human hair. Wow. Um, They're pretty small, but like I said, so you can small, see them under like a low power microscope. So you don't need that right. much magnification to see them. It's just kind of helpful. Right. And the astounding thing about them, and in fact, one reason I'm sure that they, that they were on, that they've been flown in space multiple times, I believe, um, is because of their hardiness. Is that right, Gabby? How, how, mm-hmm. how would you... Tell us about the these extraordinary properties of the tardigrade. Yeah, I mean, so like I said, they have been able to survive truly ridiculous conditions. Uh, so they've, I mean, in general, you can find tardigrades in the wild in a number of different locations. So places like, you know, hot springs that are really hot aquatic environments. Uh, apparently they've been found on top of the Himalayas. Um, deep sea regions. So like, it's one of these things where they're sort of everywhere. So clearly they're able to like, you know, at least some species of them are able to tolerate pretty extreme conditions. Um, But in particular, when people have actually gone about testing it, they found them to be resistant to vacuum. So if we try to go out into the vacuum of space, um, we freeze. And then also we kind of like explode if you've got air in your lungs, because that's all going to want to go out. Mm. Tardigrades are just kind of fine. They like they sort of desiccate. They have like a an, a very like a hardy form. It's called the I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. Tune form T U N, tun form. Um, but it's sort of just like they make a little ball out of themselves, and they're really good at surviving anything. And then they can just be like dispersed by like wind, almost like spores from a fungus. Um, so it's Maybe. it's the unique juxtaposition of this is a more complex organism than just a bacteria or any other like single celled organism. Uh, it does have organs, like I said, or, or you know, like primitive organs. Um, but it's still able to be so ridic- ridiculously hardy of a creature. Yeah. 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 So Go what ahead. do they spend their time doing? Well, I believe like most creatures, I believe it's mostly eating. <laughs> okay. right. Eating, excreting, and reproducing. I was going to say looking in the mirror, admiring themselves. You know. Yeah, plans for world domination. Yeah, those are <laughs> those are in there too. Exactly. Well, speaking of plans for world domination, uh, that leads us to our if. Now, our thought experiments each week, we have to uh, pronounce them with a with an, an incantation, so to speak. We need to describe it. Um, I suppose it's our hypothesis that we're stating. Is that right? So. Our 
our leap here is something we've we've done. We have several genres of ifs, uh, and this is one of my favorites. This is where we take some sort of creature and we imagine what if we were one of those creatures? How would it feel to be one of those creatures? What would the world be like? Uh, and we can talk about what does this mean? Are, are, are the tardigrades going to be as big as us? Are we going to be as small as a tardigrade is? Things like that we can play with. But to begin, we have to announce the if. And so to do that, we, uh, we have to put on our safety equipment. So uh, Gabby, can you help us understand what, what equipment should we don for this particular uh, experiment before we announce the if with great fanfare? Yeah, I feel like since we're talking about truly ridiculously extreme environments, potentially up to and including space, we should probably <laughs> just get in a spacesuit. Uh, yeah, we yeah. want to have our own atmosphere, oxygen with us, and be protected from heat and cold. That's very good. That's very good. And so please don your spacesuit and all parts of it, and I assume a spacesuit, any good spacesuit's got to come with a papper, perhaps an internal papper. I don't know. Look it up. No, got, you, <laughs> no, yeah. No, you don't want an internal paper. It won't do you any good. Um, also, put on your uh, pull down the little. You know what's cool about spacesuits is you get like that gold visor. That's like a particularly mm. badass move. I think when you get to pull down that your pretty cool. pull down your gold visor to protect yourself from the sun. As we ask, what the if? We were. Tardigrades, little tiny creatures of extraordinary strength and fortitude and perhaps moral character. I don't know. That's, that's a good question. If you're a millimeter in size, can you have moral character? I don't see why not. I don't see why not. Yeah, I don't know if we want to make any aspersions on the moral character of little people. Yeah. <laughs> rude. Exactly. Well, it's a particularly little person. Yeah, I agree. They're a very little person. Yeah. 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 Um, so what if we were tardigrades? So now we have to define the thought experiment. And so the question is, wh which way do you want to go on that? Would you, I think, um, do we want to blow up tardigrades to human size or do we want to shrink ourselves down to tardigrade size? Or do we just want to give ourselves the properties of tardigrades, but not change size? Oh, but not change. Also, oh, interesting. Yeah, I think we should probably stay the same size. Yeah. Um, but we can we can pick up their various uh, skills and abilities. Cool, cool. So, um, so Gabby, what does that mean in, in your? What, what are you imagining? As you imagine us now having the properties of tardigrades. Yeah. So, like I said, this means that we're going to get some of the tardigrade resistance superpowers. So you guys have probably heard about like extremophiles, like things like bacteria mm. and uh. other organisms that can exist and like thrive in really, really harsh environments. Tardigrades are technically not because they can mostly just survive really extreme environments. They don't mm. necessarily actively sort of reproduce during those environments. So yeah. they can resist all of these ridiculous temperature changes, but they're not exactly carrying out behaviors during them. They're not eating, you know, reproducing or what have you. Uh, but as far as to actually talk about what they do survive, because it is kind of ridiculous, uh, you can keep them for a few minutes at like over 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, they can la survive like 30 years in this like really, really low metabolic state, like Think like cryosleep basically at like minus four degrees Fahrenheit or like minus 20 C. 
Uh, so like you can put them in the fridge, in the freezer, basically for like 30 years and then dust them off and thaw them out and they're fine. Um, apparently wow. a, they can survive a few days at uh, minus, like, a, you know, a little bit below minus 300 Fahrenheit, which wow. is also insane. Um, as far as impact, so this one came in, came into play when people were trying to figure out if any uh, tardigrades survived from a crashed uh, lunar lander because the tardigrades had been on that. Um, delightfully, they de- decided to load them into bullets to test what impacts they survive. I think that is truly the most delightfully <laughs> ridiculous, but still scientifically robust method I can think of. Mm-hmm, uh, but they could ex- withstand essentially speeds of moving like 825 meters per second, which is outrageous. Um, the fact that they could be launched at that speed impact and then just kind of be dusted off again. Insane. Um, they can also survive job it is to load the tardigrades into the bullet. What's the, what's the skill set for that? You know, I don't know because their method set. So I went and I found the paper and I looked at their method section. Um, it did seem pretty like straightforward, but it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like incendiary bullets. It was a, um, it was a gas gun. So Uh, they sort of had the, the, uh, it was a sand, it was a, a gas gun shot into a chamber at vacuum to try to mimic space. So high uh-huh. impact, no atmosphere. Um, and then I think because it was a gas gun, they could control the speed that it was being launched at. Mm. But they loaded them into a, was it a sabo? Um, which is kind of like a, I guess like a bullet mold kind of thing and then froze it. Uh, uh-huh. And then shot that. Right. So nice. very Mythbusters sort of method, I think. Mm-hmm. So really imagine, uh, Matt, can you imagine for us if we went on that journey? What would that be like? Well, so let's see here. So scale-wise, um, uh, so assuming kind of a, a, a normal bullet size, it's a gas gun, so who knows, but assuming it's a normal bullet size, um, even the biggest tardigrade um you could probably fit, um, what, 50 across. So that's actually pretty roomy. So it's actually Mm -hmm. like a bus. Um, (laughs) So basically somebody pulls up a bus in front of your house and says, come, get on. Um, And you you sit on with a couple dozen of your friends. And you sit down and you start to put the safety belt on and they say, no, um, uh, why don't you not not do that? We're, we're just checking on something here. <laughs> we're checking um, and then they lock the door suddenly <laughs> and run away. Um, and there's a loud banging sound um, and the bus is propelled through the air. And what you how many meters per second is this? Eight, well, 825 was the fastest they could survive, but they tested ranges from, oh goodness, they said it, uh, point, uh, basically 0.5 to one kilometer a second. Um, all right, I'm doing this a quick. All right. So let's, if we do 825 meters per second, that's, oh my God, um, 1800 miles per hour. Oh, um, no big. So, so the bus we're on is suddenly accelerated to 800 miles per hour. Um, we'll let it coast for uh, about a minute. So that would take us about to Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> and then the bus crashes into the ground. Um, into the Liber- Liberty Bell. That's right. And we all dust ourselves off um, and say, ah, that was pretty cool. And we walk away unscathed. 
Also, yeah. Matt, how fast did you say that would be? What was the conversion uh, miles per hour? 1,800 miles per hour. I believe that's faster than rockets going to space. Um, well, I mean, this, this, the... Because uh, the uh, thing is, space is sustained, not necessarily speed. Well, it's a matter of how uh, long it takes, because basically the, the, the space station is going at 17,500 miles per hour. No, 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 no. Space station is already up. I'm right. saying to get up. Yeah. Because... It's like sustained force of the rocket, not necessarily speed. Um, yeah, so escape velocity is about 25,000. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or low not Earth orbit, uh, though, it's... you could get, yeah. Um, I don't know. We'd have to check. It's probably not quite enough to get us into orbit, unfortunately. But well, it's still pretty, um, but pretty I think still pretty, pretty good, right? I mean, a lot faster than, you know, Alaska Air. Um, True. <laughs> <laughs> Alaska Air, a fine plane, by the way. A fine, oh. fine airline. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh but uh, this is actually interesting, just tiny little science, little tiny physics point here, is that what, what matters is how fast it takes to get to that speed. So when humans ride a rocket, it does not go from, in other words, it, it, does, it eventually gets to 17,500 miles an hour. Uh, it has to match the speed. But this goes over a very long period of time, and it's using other effects as well. But when it takes off the, <laughs> the, from the launch pad, it doesn't go that fast. No, so usually for this sort of thing, like if you're testing it with a, a gun type environment, you're interested in the rapid deceleration. So and it smacks into ah, the wall. that too. Yeah, <laughs> that's usually what kills you. Yeah, um, as as physics teachers like to say, it's not the fall that kills you; it's the sudden stop at the end. Um, <laughs> that's true. So if that's right, so if um, if humo tar- tardigrades, as we are now, um, can survive rapid deceleration from that, then we're good to go. I should say traffic safety is no longer an issue. Yeah, actually, I think one of the Ooh. first things that jumps out is that you mentioned that transportation it can be a lot faster yeah you know Um, elon musk's uh, boring company would be all over this building tunnels everywhere and rocket cars it also interests me because uh so i think we've talked about this before with like i think we did did we do a cryo sleep episode but we were talking a bit like it wound up being interesting about like time and how that would mess with time yeah, yeah. A similar phenomenon is there with tardigrades, right? If you can be frozen for 30 years yeah. and just exist in this state that's like completely metabolically inert, why would you not just do that for long distance travel? Like oh, I'm going on a 20-hour yeah, yeah. flight or or I could take a much cheaper like uh, I'm thinking like cargo ship kind of thing. It's going to take me yeah. a month to get there. But for me, I can just, you know, step into a freezer kind of, and then wake up when they thaw me out a month from now yeah. and be on the other side of the planet. <laughs> like for you, it probably wouldn't be that bad of an experience. You're not even going to get hungry on that. Like I said, they mm-hmm. drop their metabolism yeah. super low. So rather than like being on a six, 10 hour flight where like, you know, they're serving only peanuts or pretzels and you're like, Oh my God, I need real food. A frozen tardigrade human is just going to walk off the ship at basically the same level of hunger as when they got on. That's a good deal. And so that also means um, interstellar travel can be a thing. Because um, yeah. even if it takes a thousand years to get to the next star, um, they said we'll just snooze the whole way. Um, don't even have to worry about how many peanuts we have on the, the spacecraft for that. Uh, so that would be quite nice. So, yeah, so actually, so we can colonize um, space without too much trouble now. Yeah, I think it's so there's a couple other properties of tardigrades I didn't really get to mention yet that I think also really help for space. Uh, so they're pretty good with being dehydrated. So they live, um, 
they live in, you know, like mosses and stuff like that. But if the moss dries out, you know, that's obviously a big problem if you're a creature that's sort of used to being in the kind of an aquatic environment. And they're actually pretty resistant to dehydrated. So when they're desiccated, basically, uh, they're like normally like 85% body water content goes to like 3%. Um, and they just can chill out there. Um, so I think they can survive that way for like 10 years. Um, mm. And they can also really survive radiation. Oh, that so is very nice. yeah. that's another one. So if you're so a big problem in space is radiation. There's no atmosphere to protect you. Um, these guys can basically just like, I guess, go f- play it fast and loose on the shielding. Is what I'm thinking. Exactly about. right. Yeah. So that's a huge advantage. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, because space is full of radiation. So if, um, if we don't have to worry about shielding, that's a huge, uh, although Philip, I should say that means we don't get the gold, uh, visor on our, uh, we don't um, need the gold visor anymore. So right. I don't know if that's worth it anymore. Right. Well, everyone could have bling. Mm-hmm. You can always get some bling. <laughs> <laughs> More flair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so no radiation. That's good. So we don't need to, uh, so yeah, so space travel is a lot easier. Um, nuclear weapons, a little less scary. Uh, you don't have to wear that lead apron when you get an x-ray. Um, actually, I wonder if maybe we would not be able to get x-rayed at all. I wonder if we'd be opaque to x-rays. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to x-ray oh, a tardigrade. They must have. Yeah, someone must have. Yeah. It would be silly not yeah. to. Yeah. Well, they have to go to the dentist. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Do they have teeth? I don't know yeah, I don't think. They don't have teeth. No. Um, no. Apparently, people have done x-ray imaging of them. Um, it was x-ray computed tomography. Yeah, this is just me that me Googling, but they just did it for like higher resolution, but you're not going to get the nice bone images that you would. And to be honest, they probably had to do something to like prepare the sample. Oh, that's yeah. right. That, well, as I said, for most critters, that's that kind of preparation is fatal, um, but maybe not for us. The thing that strikes me is that with all of this strength, I think, look at how badly humans have treated the earth with our current level of strength or weakness, however you want to see it, right? Damage the environment to the point where we can barely survive. <laughs> and, and it threatens to uh, destroy us because we're so fragile. Uh, whereas if you had all these superpowered strengths, I think we would have just torn the crap out of the planet. We just would have polluted. It would have been radio. We would have been having nuclear wars left and right because, as you say, well, it's not a problem. That's right. So you think we'd, we'd just be waiting in pollution yeah. constantly since it doesn't bother us? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we wouldn't call it pollution, possibly. I mean, I, I, uh, we wouldn't. Well, love that's it, right. So, like, yeah, uranium jewelry could be very popular. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day, they used to make um, glassware and serving mm. stuff out of um, uranium glass yeah. too, um, because it was pretty. So that could remain popular. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. No, I think it points to the fact that tard- these tardigrade. What did you call them? Human. Homo homo tardigrades, homo tardigrades. <laughs> would uh, be very highly cultured people. You know, they'd have all, mm-hmm. all of these crafts. Um, I think it also points to the points to uh, the idea that um, tardigrades exist on Earth. Therefore, it's highly likely they exist. If life exists elsewhere in the universe, that it's highly likely things like tardigrades exist. Right? Is is that fair logic? Well, I mean, depends on. How you feel about astrobiology generally, right? Um, 
uh, but you could say if there oh, it's are, it's possible anyway. We know that it's possible. Yeah, yeah it's possible. If there's if there's biological structures that allow for it, then right, it's at least possible. And and as you were saying earlier, this building a space program for super hardy creatures um, is much 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 easier. So it seems to me it's it's not impossible that the first aliens we meet, or that the vast majority of aliens out there, at least the first wave of creatures that began exploring the universe are tardigrade-esque. Well, that's true. You know, some people like to say that we're we're much more likely to meet alien robots than mm, aliens mm. themselves for because, you know, the, the time scales are so huge. Yeah. Um, but you're right that if they're tardigrade-ish, um, then it's just as likely a capsule of, of tardigrades will show up here in the solar system one day um, uh, to say hello. Uh, and that would be, that would be an interesting first contact. And they will have seen what we've done to their brethren. Yeah. Go ahead, Gabby. (laughs) Yeah. They'll they'll find the paper of us shooting them out of the gun and they'll be so offended. (laughs) Um, no, I, I did just want to say that, you know, there's sort of a size problem when it comes to things like this. So if we're Mm. discounting the assumption that what if humans were like this for half a second, like part of the reason why they're able to do these things is yes, because of evolutionary adaptations, but also because the size scale that they're working on is mm. relatively small. So if you look at the number of smaller organisms that are able to survive, for example, being frozen, it's significantly more than the number of larger organisms that are able to survive being frozen. Mm. This is the problem that we ran into when we were trying to first do like cryogenic things. I think like the largest animal we ever were able to freeze down and rethaw out was like a rat. Um, Anything larger than that didn't, the freezing process didn't really work right. So I'm presented now with the frivolous idea that maybe our first contact is with a tiny, tiny, tiny little spaceship of tardigrade aliens that we probably wouldn't notice because it's the size of a a book of matches. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Just sort of being flung haphazardly through space because. They don't really have to care. I mean, literally, it could be a set of tardigrades in a book of matches, and they'd probably be fine. Like, like they don't need a spaceship, right? Yeah, yeah no, they just launched a book of matches into space, and they're cool with it. They'll get where <laughs> they need to go. There is a great Twilight Zone episode like that, if I remember it correctly. They were your mm-hmm. the whole thing takes place inside like a flying saucer, and they're alien, uh, and they're people. They seem to be on a mission, you know. And they're going somewhere, and, and and then again, I might have this incorrect, but at the end, I seem to remember that the craft starts getting buffeted like crazy, and then we, we it reveals that actually this craft is uh, an alien craft, or that is the size of a flea, and mm-hmm. uh, someone mm-hmm. is swatting it with their fly swatter. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> classic. Um, <clears throat> so, um, in in by the way, in three body problem, Matt, it seems yeah. there are desiccated. Yeah. Uh, people. Uh, that's right. The aliens can desiccate themselves. Yeah. Um, Do we know if he was, he must've been thinking about tardigrades. Um, you know, I don't know anything about yeah. the author or where he was thinking about. Chishin Lu. Yeah. yeah. seems to be fairly quiet media wise. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, his translator is very active, but I don't know anything about. Oh, interesting. Right. Personally. Right. 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 Um, cool. So, um, you are now a tardigrade. And you wake mm-hmm. up in the morning, and or you're a human, human, a Homo tardigrade, and uh, a little known Kafka story. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you have metamorph- metamorphosized into a uh, tardigrade, and you wake up. Uh, how does your day begin? All right, yeah. So we got to go hunting for food. Um, 
Uh, we can eat pretty much anything, right? Uh, I actually don't know what they're consuming in algae. Um, uh, okay. Like, I don't know if they're eating... Yep, plant cells, algae, and small invertebrates is apparently the diet. Mm, small invertebrates. Right. Yeah, small invertebrates sounds like we're snacking on cockroaches. Which, but, you know, like, there's plenty of cockroaches around, so that's Like fine. nematodes, things like that, right. I think. <laughs> oh, no, nematodes, I think, eat other targets. Or like, yeah. It's, What's a it's nematode? Probably something else really small. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nematodes are little worms, but apparently they uh. eat tardigrades. Uh, my oh. scale bars are a little off. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say a cockroach to a tardigrade would be enormous. Well, yeah, that's I don't a good think point. it would be yeah. like something like a, a roach. I think it'd be more like Daphnia, like like one of those really. Like, there's all these really really tiny. Um, like water invertebrates that like mm. like copepods like I don't know if you've ever really stared at like a a really well cycled fish tank but there's a mm. bunch of like little tiny like almost microscopic invertebrates that are just like existing in the water oh wow um, and like not not like bugs not like crabs um, <laughs> I guess they might be crustacean related um, but they're just like really 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 tiny little dudes. Um, and I think that it's those that they're eating. Mmm, delicious. That sounds pretty good to me. So you have yeah. your uh, your delicious. Now, of course, uh, your whole uh, um, Whole Foods would stock the. In other words, you've already picked up all the whatever you need. Um, mm -hmm. You've you've gotten these from the grocery store, and they're in your in your house, and you're enjoying that. Um, uh, do tar tardigrades live in groups? So you've got some sort of family esque in your house. I don't believe uh, they're social, though, per se. Uh, well, that does sound like people in a house. Yeah, also <laughs> Nobody socializes. Especially in the morning, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you go out on the street, and uh, you go to your tardigrade job. Um, yeah, and I cross the street wherever I feel like it, because right. <laughs> cars can plow into me, and I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. um, Commute is very short because I can just get launched in a rocket. In a bullet train. Um, yeah. In a bullet train. Literal <laughs> Quite bullet literally train. a bullet yep. train. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. That would be very handy. Um, I actually don't know if we even need buildings because we don't have to shelter from the elements. We don't need to worry about sunburn. Um, we don't get cold. Uh, yes, I don't even know if we need architecture anymore. We can just hang out. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, if you didn't need shelter, you would you you wouldn't build. Well, they, and for instance, they well they do live in they do, they live wherever they want, I suppose, um, mm -hmm. just because it's it's interesting or it's whatever. But they, yeah, they don't necessarily build things. Um, so I'm going to guess they they just you live in trees, you live in the grass, you live maybe under the grass, um, you live near lakes, things like that. Um, but I'm going to guess a society as dense as, for instance, a city. Take New York, as we often do. Um, that would be a seriously swarming, an incredible swarm of tardigrades. Like, if you looked at this from above, it would be quite shocking. It'd be like when they turn the lights on in the kitchen in Ratatouille, and you see all the rats <laughs> running. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. And um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if any research has been done on tardigrade disease, um, mm. Or what ends up killing them at the end of the day, um, uh, but if they're as resistant to 
infection is there to everything else. Um, we wouldn't need doctors or medical care. Oh, that yeah. could be handy. I'm going to mm-hmm. guess it's like everything else. It's greed kills uh, hubris. Hubris. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they always want to. Fa- now, the thing, if since they are part human, they do have what humans want, which is a constant. What humans are like, which is a constant dissatisfaction. So to them, the bullet train wouldn't would be slow. Right? It'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> why, why only 1,800 miles an That's hour? Right. That's right. right. The line to get on the bullet train this morning was insane. I mean, to be honest, a fraction of a second. When you were talking about the commute to work, I did sort of imagine like everybody just going to get loaded into like some sort of gun that just shoots you directly at your location and you just kind yeah. of smack mm-hmm. into some giant pile of sand that's near yeah. where you are, <laughs> yeah. some big yeah. target. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a great plan. And at 1,800 miles an hour, you know, for the commute from Brooklyn to Manhattan, you could get from Brooklyn to France. Wow. Um, so that'd right. be pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so the planet would, would seem much smaller to them, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which would, again, would encourage their rapid rise to a space program to move onwards. Um, uh what do you think? Um, what does the tar- What does the hobo tardigrade aspire to? Best tardigrade we can be. What's that? <laughs> what would that be? Yeah, they wouldn't think of themselves as as particularly hardy. I'm gonna guess. Well, it would just be normal for right. them, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and or, they'd be horrified the first. <laughs> yeah. No, my thought is like, I mean, assuming we're not. We're making the assumption that there's not a whole evolutionary tree of other tardigrade-like organisms, because maybe for them, uh-huh. the rest of the world is just really crappily built. <laughs> everything else can't survive. Like mm-hmm. the tardigrade everything people, everything else is squishy. Yeah, like the tardigrade yeah. people maybe have a harder time figuring out like animal husbandry because for them, they're like, "What do you mean <laughs> you can't freeze this thing at minus thirty C?" Like. I have to keep. I just have to keep feeding it every day. Yeah, <laughs> like ridiculous. God, cows are too much work. Like maybe that's sort of the way that it goes instead. Just because you, if you are such a uniquely and impressively resistant organism, the inability of every other organism to be like you would probably be a little bit of a head scratcher, and maybe something that's a bit yeah. difficult if you are trying to build a society in any way that interacts with these Yeah, that's probably people. right. So I guess I, I, I could imagine the religious structures being based around um, us being the favored creatures of God for obvious oh, reasons. Oh, yeah. In that everything else dies instantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So all of our religious rituals are built around stamina and endurance, <laughs> demonstrating our, our divine nature. They're like Romans, <laughs> like the Roman Empire. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, they, they might discover that this actually lends some credence perhaps, or this is why I think people get excited by the, one of the ideas of tardigrades traveling through space is it lends the possibility to panspermia, the panspermia mm-hmm. being possible, right? Now it turns out that according to that nature article, uh, recent nature article that it seems like the tardigrades on the moon did not survive. Um, but it was, but they are so hardy. It's certainly people really thought very likely they might. So it is possible for Matt, you want to help us? What is panspermia? Oh, so panspermia is the, um, is one of the answers to the question, um, where did life come from here on earth? Mm. So one, uh, one answer is abiogenesis. That is, um, there were some, 
chemical reaction among non-living matter that turned into living matter. Um, uh, and then the other option is panspermia, which is to, to say that life here came from out there. So it fell from a passing comet, um, an asteroid crashed into the earth with amino acids, um, there was a weird UPS delivery. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's lots of, of possibilities. Um, uh, but simply the idea that uh, life here came from out there, um, as they used to say back on Battlestar Galactica. Uh, mm. And one of the main objections to panspermia is actually, you know, no, no large living structure could possibly survive the fall from space mm. or the journey from another star. Um, so tardigrade type life, um, might be an answer to that question. So we were primordially seeded, either intentionally or accidentally, um, by some distant tardigrade civilization. Um, so they just kind of wandered this way. Um, and normally, you know, the timescales for panspermia are absurd, right? They're tens of billions of years to drift from place to place. Um, so it seems obviously wrong. Uh, but for us, no biggie. Right. right. There's, uh, time is time is, is nothing to us. Yeah, I mean, it might even be that you could imagine a tardigrade civilization uh, seeing Earth, you know, in their telescopes and firing a uh, ship in in our direction and just, mm -hmm. you know, with a bunch of hardy yeah. explorers on a one-way journey. Uh, and and then I could imagine, it's kind of interesting, I'm sure there's a sci-fi story like this, but uh, it gave me the idea of a story where we find, we on Earth find a crashed alien ship, Right. And we try, we examine it. We try to figure it out, and then it turns out that this this ship cr uh, crashed four or three billion years ago, or whatever, some millions of years ago, and uh, that this is actually where we came from. We were on that ship. Oh, we were seated by <laughs> yeah, that ship. Yeah. Um, That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, so Ancestry.com would be quite interesting. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it would have to account for possibly billions of years of, of sedentary ancestors. Right. Um, <laughs> and we've all got sedentary ancestors, right? Your Uncle Bob who never gets off the couch <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, exactly. exactly. Um, and then, you know, you go to Ellis Island, you get your ancestors' immigration uh, papers, you know, documents. Well, and they, that's right. They could actually show you your ancestor. Like, yeah. they, here is, yes. here is the Tartigrade. Right. <laughs> from which you were descended yeah. um, a million years ago. So, Gabby, uh, um, what are your um, takeaways from this uh, thought experiment? What, 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 what lasting images are in your mind from having done this exploration? Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of uh, the trebuchet now being the greatest innovation in uh, transportation rather than warfare. What is the trebuchet? Uh, yeah, nice. It's just like a kind of like a catapult, but it works sort of by a different method. Mm. Um, yeah, it like old siege engine. Yeah, and it was a big deal just because it could launch bigger things farther. Uh, you know, you may have seen it if you've seen any of the like pumpkin throwing competitions. Oh yeah, or I think chunky. they used them <laughs> for launching fruit cakes. People would build trebuchets. Um, <laughs> And nice. I'm just now imagining, like, you know, sort of the first one being like, well, okay, cool. Uh, now you can get to where you're going just so much faster. Um, no, I just think it's kind of funny because, you know, human beings are fragile. Like, so much of our infrastructure is built around how to keep us from getting hurt, keep us from getting poisoned, from freezing, from burning up, from being exposed to too much. And the idea of just sort of a society where you can just kind of 
shrug that off yeah. or at the very least like it'll kill half of you but not all of you so yeah like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you could sleep through it yeah even, yeah even- that's right no matter mm-hmm. yeah really bad meetings or civilizations you're like eh, i'm just gonna sleep this one yeah. off Asteroids yeah, come in, you're like, this is a really good time for a nap, actually. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Matt, uh, what's your uh, what lasting images? Uh, w- well, you know, it's an interesting reminder of how much of the construction of our civilization is restricted by our general squishiness uh-huh. and um, ability to be killed by things. Um, so this opens up a lot of possibility space. Um, and then I think kind of the the entertaining God's eye view is that it would all seem totally normal to us. And it's just everybody else who's squishy now. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so we've got this world full of um, radioactive, toxic material stacked everywhere um, as we get hurled through the air at ridiculous speeds. In fact, maybe we use the piles of toxic waste as the landing pads for our, our trebuchet yeah. transportation. Yeah. Um, uh, that would be a lot of fun or disgusting. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I love the idea of just sloppy aliens. You know, <laughs> just don't care about anything. Um, wonderful. Uh, Matt, do you have anything you want to plug this week? Uh, let's see here. I think I already plugged the upcoming eclipse, right? In April, April 8th. Yep. So if you're, uh, yeah, that's right. So if you find yourself in Western New York, um, come to the Rochester Science Museum. I'll hang out All there. Right. Oh, actually, I think we're doing a um, an, a pre-eclipse event here in the city Ooh. on March twentieth. I can Ooh. get more details oh, later, but that's associated that's associated with the astronomy on tap. Folks. Oh, fantastic! Um, so I'll let you know the the deets on Ooh, that that's later. Great. See if they want what the if performing live anytime. Oh, all right. We could do that during the eclipse, after the eclipse. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> When no, no one is looking. looking. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's cool. So, so in Rochester, Rochester Science Museum. So it's like an official event. Is it at the museum? They'll be watching. It is indeed. Oh, wonderful. Um, so there's kind of a few days of events leading up to the eclipse. Oh, excellent. Uh, I'll look into that. So come join us for any of that's those. Fantastic. Yeah. Gabby, anything you would like to plug? Uh, I can only plug that if you know somebody right now who is writing their thesis, uh, please uh, present them with I don't know, maybe like a mug of hot cocoa. And the cookie, mm. and tell them everything's going to be all right. Uh, I think that's uh, my uh, only useful plug for this week. That's, that's very good. good. That's very yeah. good. Those mm-hmm. of you who are Patreon supporters uh, have a have a cup of hot cocoa uh, in honor of Gabby in your what the if mug, which you have if you joined at the mug level, whichever one that was. There's a level where you can get a mug. There's another level where you get a T-shirt and a hoodie and things like that. Patreon.com slash what the if. Um, I can plug, I am teaching a class uh, online on Zoom, so anyone can join um, yep. for uh, oh, this AI using ChatGPT for documentary filmmakers. So if you happen to be oriented towards documentary filmmakers for now, I'll be doing a wider class, I'm sure, afterwards. But um, if you're a documentary filmmaker or you just uh, think like one um, <laughs> and you want to know <laughs> how ChatGPT can uh, play a role, um, what it can do and what it can't do. It's important to know both. Um, sign up and you just go to my website, philipshane.com slash class and check it out and let me know what you think. Um, as always, a reminder, you can send ideas to us to run with. So if you have an idea for an if or a thought experiment, something you've always wondered, is there a creature you've always wanted to be? 
Uh, yeah. Is there a creature yeah. you're jealous of? Uh, let's conquer that, and uh, we'll just do it. We'll become them <laughs> for an hour here on the If. Uh, or any other ideas, you can go to our website, whattheif.com, and click contact and send us a, a message. People enjoy doing that. Um, we are still on Twitter, also known as X, uh, at What The If Show, and Facebook and uh, Instagram. I've not plugged our social media lately, so uh, hit us up there as well. Um, uh, Gabby, would you help us now set the stage for the closing ceremonies? Yeah. What? What, what so, are they and why are they? Well, because we've <laughs> completely ruined the universe or made it better, depending on your opinion of being a tardigrade person, we now <laughs> have to set everything back to the way that it was before the podcast is over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as we are stuck here looking around ourselves, waiting in line to be launched to work, and it's our turn... We can't help but get loaded into that trebuchet, and as it fires us to our day job, shout the name of the show together in unison. What the Thank you all for listening. Those of you who are a millimeter size and above, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you.